Hi, this is Rose and Masood Ramandi from Perfected by Blood Ministries. Thank you for downloading our podcast. We believe this teaching will empower you to grow into the fullness of Christ and inspires you to walk with Him. Make sure you subscribe to get new messages every week. We believe in you and we know that He will appear in your life soon. Enjoy the message. Remember um, when Jesus talked about the one who actually came at the very last hour and he was paid the same exact thing? All who came before that last one, they were mad. And the one who is giving out of his riches, he says, are you mad because I'm so good? Can't I give to everyone according to my riches? That's called in the Bible, righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. Can I have please two two people helping me with this? That's one and second. Who wants to be a Jew and who wants to be a Gentile? Are you you Jewish? No. Okay. All right. So. (laughs) All right. And I'm Jesus. Okay. Uh, So we have. Um, From the beginning, uh, right from the beginning, God always calls people, basically the nations of the world, His people. But then because people are rejecting constantly and they're not uh, opening themselves to Him, He comes and reveals Himself to one so He could actually through this one reveal Himself to the other. Okay? So then He calls this my nation. And he calls these others nations. The Bible translates that word as Gentiles. There is no such a thing as Gentiles. They are nations, and then there is nation. Under basically through the story of Abraham, God came and uh, preached his gospel to Abraham. Abraham believed, and God said, Out of you a nation will come, through whom I will bless all nations. Now, Jesus came the seed from Abraham, and he completed everything. He rose again, and he came to his disciples, and he said, go and preach to all nations. What is he doing? He's bringing all nations to himself. Now, this is the story. This nation has always himself been rejecting the grace of God toward, toward himself. That's why this always was disobedient to the command to go to this one. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he said, now you are my kingdom of priests, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, through which I will declare my glory to all nations. They rejected. So Jesus came and he said, there was a man who had a vineyard, and he rented that vineyard to basically wine dressers. And he came for the fruit several times, prophet after prophet, and they rejected. So at the last, he sent his son, and they rejected him. And he said, what would he do to that nation? They themselves said he would destroy that nation, and he would take that vineyard and give it to those who will bear its fruit. Okay, so what happened? The nation that was rejecting, they lost that authority on earth to be the ones that actually can declare the goodness of God to all. 
And through that, that goodness came now to those who never sought him, us. So how did we receive it? Did we do anything for it? No, we were just open to receive it. Every one of us. So now he's saying, hey, you guys, now you can go not only to other nations, but also to this one nation specifically, okay? So that he can bring the two together. Mm-hmm. Now, from the beginning, that one nation that now is this one, okay, himself has been under condemnation, guilt, shame, rejection, all of that. And that's why that nation has always been not being the light of the world. That's why nations do not come and enter into their glory. That's why the gates are not open. We don't embrace. We say, unless you do this, you cannot enter. Okay, thank you guys. Now, God comes and he says, you've seen how I've dealt with you always. Every nation that he chooses. And he says, did you ever do anything to gain my favor? Ever. Did the Jews do anything? No, they were, in fact, the Bible says when God came to Moses, he came and he said, Moses, I have come. I have heard the groaning of my children. I have come to accomplish the promise, the covenant that I had made with their fathers. They don't even know. They don't, they don't even have a clue who God, their God is. All they know is the God of our fathers. It's not their God. It's the God of Abraham. 400 years ago, something happened. You know, somebody heard God, and they don't know what's happening. They're confused. We are in slavery. If there was a God, what are we doing here? And God comes without taking one physical sword, one physical weapon. He brings the whole nation out. He wants to lead them to a land flowing with honey and milk. And again, they're rejecting. Again, rejecting. Again, rejecting. Why? Because carnal mind does not receive the things of the Spirit. Carnal mind does not receive the goodness of God. It always wants to say, okay, what else must I do to inherit? Well, you're saying inheriting, inheritance is by being a child of a father, not doing anything. So you can't inherit eternal life by doing anything. You can inherit by being a person in a certain family. So if you want eternal life, you want your father to be life. That story of seeing who God is over the centuries have been, uh, have been causing problems because that misunderstanding of who God is has been always creating something, an image of God, which man has been worshiping, thinking it is God, and it's not. Even in Christianity, today we have something called Another Jesus. The Bible talks about this. Second Corinthians chapter 11, and he says, I'm, I'm afraid, Paul says, I'm afraid that you may have been deceived because another Jesus is being introduced. He doesn't say Allah. 
He doesn't, he doesn't say Buddha and we're afraid of those things. He says the most dangerous person on, on planet is another Jesus. Now you're thinking, you're worshiping Jesus, but your mind is the devil. Exactly. So at some point we have to leave behind the elementary understanding of God and we have to move on to perfection. What was perfection? Love. So because in love everything makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense earthly, but it's the only sense that God has. God is love. He cannot take away who he is from his creation. Never, ever. I'm not afraid of what I'm preaching today. I'm proud of what I'm preaching today. Because my God is so good. His love. Every religion has taught things that are anti-Christ. Even in Christianity. He talks about Antichrist in Christianity, not outside. In every religion of the world, the, the context of their teachings is God, the devil, heaven, hell, and someone who miraculously would, would come and physically rescue people called the Savior. Let me tell you, when I came to Christianity, I was shocked that the church is preaching the same God of heaven, hell, devil, and a savior at the end times. That's Islam. Do you guys have you? Yes. No? Okay, that's religion in a nutshell. Okay? Now, when Jesus came, he never talked about any of these things. He said, no one has ever seen God, the only begotten, is finally here to declare to you who the Father is. You've always had fables and you thought you have the truth. You were the, genera you, you were the chosen generations, but you worshipped God that you made with your own hands. Now let me tell you, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, everything that was written was a pattern, an example for us, that we may not fall into the same thing, which means we have also created idols with our own hands, and we are worshipping. And he says, what you're worshipping is another Jesus. And let me show you from where this way of faith
thinking comes. Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. I'm happy, by the way. <laughs> I, I hope no one sees me as being mad or angry. <laughs> it's, this is what is being called the passion of God, the wrath of God. Okay? He's angry as his, at his children being under the bondage of lies. And he comes as the Lamb of God to reveal the truth to us and Revelation speaks of the wrath of the lamb. Have you ever seen any lamb being wrathful? No. Isn't it even ridiculous to think that a lamb can be speak of lions, speak of, I don't know, wolves or something. But not lamb. Lamb is known for, you know, being innocent. Yeah. How could then the innocence be angry? How could the innocent be angry or wrathful? It shows what the wrath of the lamb is. <laughs> Where do you see the lamb? Yeah, on the cross, laying down his life. So what is the wrath of the lamb speaking of? Yeah, and what is crucifixion? Now let's read Romans chapter 2. That's why Paul says, I don't want to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. Nothing. Nothing. No, no theology, no doctrine, no new teaching. It's Christ and Him crucified. If you stand here, everything will open up. The moment you say, oh, that's amazing. So now let's, let me go a little further. No, it's not a little further. Actually, you're not, this is not your journey. This is not that you're here. And you want to go further, and you think you need to go here. No, you need to go more to the center, to the core of what you have learned. That's why uh, today, uh, after the first session, we could have all gone home. And it's amazing, because that's what we felt, right? But that's exactly that now God is going to take you deeper and open things that you can now receive with understanding also. <clears throat> That's why you, you read the book of Revelation and after the opening of the seventh seal, you think it's over. No, then there is seven trumpets and then you think it's over. No, even after that, there is seven uh, bowls of wrath. What is God doing? He's taking you deeper and deeper and deeper. Seven times deeper, seven times deeper, seven times deeper until you get to the core of who you are. Every flesh that has put on a false identity over you is gone. You see that which you were from the beginning. In Jeremiah, he says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. How could he know you before you were in your mother's womb unless you existed? You're not flesh and blood. You're spirits. I'm not speaking to your flesh today. I'm speaking to that which is called sons of God. Yes. When God comes to Job, I'm going all over. That's fine. If I wanted this to be teaching, but if it's preaching, let it be. God calls Job, who is constantly accusing him. He says, where were you when sons of God sang? 
He's calling to Job's remembrance that which he has forgotten about himself. We think, I thought, I'm a, at the time that I was saved. I was 30 years old in the flesh, and now I'm a new baby in Christ. I didn't know. <laughs> that's good. That's the beginning. That's how we started. That's how I started. But now I know something more. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, unless one is born from the Spirit, he was not talking about the day that you pray a prayer and you say, I'm born again. He said, Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel, the chosen generation, the one who had everything from God. And you don't understand why I am able to do these things? Everyone who is born of the Spirit, you were supposed to be doing these things. Nicodemus, why have you allowed flesh to show you who you are? Why is your mirror flesh and not the Spirit? Why don't you turn to the Spirit and behold the glory which you have been from the beginning to be transformed to the same? Wow. <laughs> In James chapter 1, he says... We were in Romans 2, but we can go to James chapter 1. <laughs> James chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay, he says be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because if you hear and you do not do, you're deceiving yourself. Okay, what does the word, what is the story of the word? John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, in Him was life, and that life is my light. Which means the Word reveals to me. He says, when you hear the Word, be doer. What does that mean? How could you do the Word? Believe. You doing the word of God is you believing the word of God so he could do his word in you. When the word came to Jesus, you are my son, he was tempted to go and do, but he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that just proceeded from the mouth of God. What was the word? You are my son. I believe, but temptation comes, but I believe. But temptation comes. I don't care. I believe. I'm a doer of the word. I'm not going to deceive myself. How can you deceive yourself if you believe the lie? You just heard the truth about who you are. 
And then the lie comes, and if you don't believe the truth and you believe the lie, you're deceiving yourself. Now, the word deceive, actually, it's an interesting word. It it means... Miscounting. Now, the word counting, because this is a combined word, the word counting is the same word that is being translated as reckoning. Okay? It says you're misreckoning yourself. Which, because the Bible says reckon yourself, now that's doing the word. Romans chapter 5 talks about reckoning. It says, reckon yourself dead indeed into sin and alive in Christ. You are misreckoning yourself if you don't have this as your core every moment. Okay, now he says, therefore, when you hear the word... Be a doer of the word. Now let's continue. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He says, okay, let me talk to you. When you hear and you don't do, this is the story. You're looking, you're observing your face in a mirror. But... Verse 24, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Says, okay, mirror, I just saw it, and then I'm going to work, right? Now I don't see myself anymore. This is now a natural example. You wake up, the first thing you do, you look at yourself in the mirror, oh, okay, it's me again. And then you go. (laughs) And then you have other things, and you're basically, you forget what you look like. I don't see myself now, right? But you see it. You see me. But I don't see myself. So he says, when you look at the mirror, when you go, you forget. Now he says, being a doer of the word means to, when you look at it, you continue to look at it. You don't look at it and you go away. You always have this mirror attached to your face. You always remember what kind of man you are. And that's the only way I will not be misreckoning myself. He says the moment I misreckon myself, the wrath of man comes out. We just read. He said, therefore, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. What are you hearing? The word. But slow to speak... For the wrath of man, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You're not going to be experiencing righteousness if you live the way Cain did. But he was full of wrath. Why? Because he forgot what manner of man was. Now, verse 20. Three talks about observing his natural face. This is where I bring in Job. The word natural is the word Genesis. 
the word natural, the Greek word is Genesis. He says you have few, this is what it says. For if anyone is hearer of the word and do not, and not a doer, he is like a man observing the face of his Genesis and forgets it. What is Genesis? Your beginning. Before you were in your mother's womb. He says the word is speaking to you so you can remember who you are. You're not going to become. Even what we, we are talking about being transformed into the same image, you're not trying to make yourself into something. You're being awakened into the word that, as Rose said, God said, let's make man in our own image. And he says, when you look at, when your mirror finally becomes the spirit instead of the flesh, you look, this, look, you look into the face of this Lord, and the Lord is the spirit, and you look at him, and you experience freedom, because wherever the Lord is, is freedom, and now you no longer have a veil over your heart. You don't even have flesh over your heart. You don't have a hardened heart anymore, but with unveiled face, heart, you behold the Lord. Which Lord? The Spirit. And you're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. How? By the Spirit again. Okay? So you, me, everyone, every, the, the worst mankind ever lived on the planet, their beginning is not in the flesh. Now, I say this with all respect. God doesn't care about what we think. He doesn't care about our opinion. He thinks what he thinks is right. <laughs> he thinks he has authority over his creation. Yes. He thinks he's really right. And I think he's right. Because I'm putting my opinions away. And I'm allowing the Father to show me what he sees. I'm allowing myself to hear what he's speaking. I'm allowing myself to be swift to hear. Because the word swift means quick to hear. And you go to the book of Revelation, which is all by the Spirit. And Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. If you are not quick, he will pass by. But he said, let him hear what the Spirit says. That means he's not coming to you in the flesh. He's coming to you in the Spirit. How does he come? Through his voice. Where does he come from? Where did he enter? The Spirit inside. He says, I will walk with you once a day in the cool of the day. The word cool in Genesis means the word spirit. The voice of God walked in the spirit of the day, not in the natural day, in the spirit of the day. Adam and Eve heard his voice. So what was the story of walk with God? It was walk with him by hearing his voice. Not like God is here. Everybody has that imagination that God was 
walking with Adam in a physical garden, not everyone, and I know it's not certainly here, uh, but the idea has been that finally one day you're going to be walking with him. No, that's not what he's talking about. Jesus said, it is better for you that I go away. For if I don't go, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth will not come. But when He comes, He will reveal all truth to you. Because you've been miscounting yourself. But He will come convincing everyone concerning sin, judgment, and righteousness. He will correct you. He will show you sin is not what you think. Sin is in not believing what He says about you. And you think sin is, this woman is caught in adultery. Let us bring her and let's see if we can kill her. He says, who gave you that law? He said, he wrote it on stone to show you your heart is a stone. But let me just stoop down and write on the in the dust. To show you, you guys are all dust. I made you. Why are you picking up stone to kill one another? He stooped down, he got up, he stooped down, he got up, he died, he rose again, he ascended, he came back, peace to you. These are all mysteries. Every one of these things are showing us, revealing to us, the Father whom the only begotten is declaring to us. He's showing to mankind what is in man's, kind, man's heart, which is something that has been accusing him and causing his heart to be hardened, and that has caused him to be throwing stone out of that stony heart into other people. Paul says, but our ministry is the ministry of the new covenant, not of that which was written on stone. Our ministry is on the tablets of your heart. And our ministry is into your conscience. I'm not speaking to anything. I'm not causing anyone to do anything. I'm speaking to your conscience right now. Because your conscience has been... Now, when I say you, please don't be offended. I'm not. I'm speaking in the Spirit. It's, it's the Spirit is speaking. It's the same way that the Bible says. Our conscience has been accusing us day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. What is the whole purpose of the blood of Jesus? To cleanse your conscience. I'm speaking the word of the blood over your conscience. Okay, so you can have a conscience that is clear, just as Paul says, he says, my conscience is clear. I'm not guilty of anyone's blood. I serve the God of my fathers with clear conscience. Yes. How is he serving? He's serving by the words that he's preaching. He was not a laborer just to go feed the poor, and although all those things are amazing to have orphanage and everything, he was preaching the word again and again and again. He was revealing the truth. He said, cursed I am if I, if I do not preach this good news. What else are we waiting for? What do we need? What God are we waiting for? A God of love, light, life? And are we going to again mix him and eat leavened bread? Aren't we supposed to, after the Passover, keep the feast going? Without bringing the leaven of the Pharisees? Without bringing the leaven of the brother that was in the house? 
and mad at the other brother and the father because he was so good? Why not eat the bread that is pure, the bread of life, which the Father sent on earth, and we can eat of that and have life. Yes. So we could be a giver of life to others also. Yes. Yes. Amen. So why not, instead of trying to minister to others, be awakened to the face of our Genesis? And as Rose said, you're loving, you loving other people is you knowing yourself. Because if you know yourself, your love will be automatic. Amen. We have, because we have no judgment against anyone, any nation, any country, any people, any race, we preach the truth without considering where people are in their life, in the flesh. And we are receiving testimonies that are, we are so humbled to hear what God is doing through the words that is going out. Just, uh, we were sharing yesterday over the lunch about uh, someone that actually from Australia, he's Iranian, he found our teaching, he's been Muslim all his life, and he went into basically a mystic route of Islam, trying to get to the goodness of God, and he said, I was never satisfied, I went to other religions, I went even to Christianity, and I realized it's just a bunch of stories, nothing there, I never got interested. And he said, the moment I began to hear, I'm like, Wait a minute, I've been searching for truth all my life, and all truth is here. Christianity, this Christ, is the Lord. Yes. Why? Do I try to point at him what is his fault? No, no one needs to know what their fault is. They already know what their fault is. They need to know, they don't need to know what they are. No, they need to know what they are. That's how God came to me. He said, do you know who you are? And I said, obviously not. <laughs> because it's funny. When I was growing up, I had this going over and over and over um, that once in a while, I would stand uh, in front of a mirror, looking at the face that I was seeing in the mirror, and speak to the one that I'm seeing. And I'm saying, who are you? What is your beginning? Where did you come from? Where are you going? And I was so afraid because I didn't know the person that I'm looking at. And I would run away. Now, God came to me in his love and he said, do you know who you are? He's the only one that can reveal who we are. I'm not going to listen to anyone. I'm not, what we have is not from man, it's not according to man, it's according to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to, I'm, I'm willing to live for this. I don't want to even die for this. But if it need be, so be it. He's looking for people that would believe the gospel. To believe he is good. He wants to restore the tabernacle of David on earth. What was the tabernacle of it? David? No outer court, no holy place, just one tent of skin and the Ark of the Covenant inside. And he was sacrificing the sacrifices of the praises, praises yes. for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Yes. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures. Let me ask you a question. What does forever mean? Where does his mercy stop? Never. 
I don't care if you die, if you don't know Jesus. I'm not ashamed of this. My God is not the God of the flesh. He's not limited to your short period of time that you have on this earth and you judge him according to man thinking that he will do whatever he wants to do on this life. And when he misses this, you're gone. Jesus said, he has given me authority over all flesh. And the Son of Man has life to give to all flesh. That's why I die and all die. Do you think baptism is the day that you got into the water? No. Baptism is when God said, you are my son. Before you were born. Do you think the lamb means Jesus on the cross? No. The lamb means the one who gives life. When you want to kill him, he would still love you. What more guilt should someone have? (laughs) More than killing the prince of life. What bigger guilt? Well, this guy is a terrorist. He's bombarding. He's killing people. Okay, wait a minute. What about the Son of God? What about, at least we know, according to our uh, standards, everyone has committed something we call sin in the flesh. What about the innocent one? People killed him. What was the message Peter preached in the day of Pentecost? This Jesus whom you killed, God raised. He says, they were cut to the heart. They said, what must we do? Do you think these are just one stories? These are patterns. That means when people would hear, (laughs) when they would hear the gospel, they would be pierced to the heart. Everyone. For he has taken an oath saying, For every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10 says, Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. He says, I have taken an oath that everyone. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Oh, they died. I don't care. I don't care. My God is not a human being that he lost his chance. If people are blind, he's not blind. He promised he would go after the one. He would leave the 99 and he would go after the one. So God, how are you going to leave that to me? Maybe leave that to those who would become the manifested sons of God. And they know the love of the Father. Maybe they would minister something that Jesus called the greater works. Maybe they would have a consciousness that is not being moved by what they see in people. Maybe they have a ministry called the priesthood of Melchizedek. Maybe they realize what righteousness is. The king of righteousness means. Maybe their judgment would become according to what they see in eternity. Rather than a short window of life on earth. 
one of the most convincing, clear voices I ever heard before even I was preaching this message or before, uh, and I don't know why I'm here. I had no intention to go here, right here. But um, this is before I had even a scripture to back this up. I always knew in my heart there must be something something very wrong about this kind of understanding. Okay? But one day, one of those moments that, again, you're not even expecting to hear from God. You're not in meditating. You're not sitting down. You're not going to your closet. You're just walking in your bedroom. And I started crying. As I was hearing, I was weeping. And God said, do you think that I'm that wretched judge who would judge you and condemn you to torture and eternal fire for eternity because someone lived for 20 years and they didn't get a chance to hear about me? Is that who I am to you? Now, let, me, let us be open to God. He says, everyone is naked before him. So, if you want to hide it, God still sees. Who is your God? Is he Allah? Is he Zeus? Is he Buddha? Is he Baal? Is he the one who asks you to sacrifice your son? Is he the one who killed his son on the cross? If, because if that's your God, you're still having a wrong spirit. Because if you think God killed Jesus, you're very wrong. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. Crucifixion is the exposing of lies because we thought God kills. He showed, no, you kill. But let me show what I do. I raise from the dead. Crucifixion and resurrection are the exposing of lies and revealing of the truth. In the cross, your wisdom is defeated. In the resurrection, you're being endued with godly wisdom. Let's go now to Romans 2. If you need more scripture, you can go to scriptures. Because I myself am, both of us, Scripture, because unless I see, I'm not saying I need to see that, uh, I need to resign from my job until I see it in the scripture. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the nature of God. Because you, you understand that, um, like even in, in Islam and our family, myself, we always uh, struggle with the fact of all the hatred and killing and everything that was in Quran and even the command to do this continually. We always struggle. Why? Because there's something in the core of our being that once in a while wants to come up and speak the truth. And we say, oh, no, that can't be true. You know, God can't be that true. The gospel can't be that true. Look at uh, Romans chapter 2. Verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Okay? It says, don't let judgment be 
initiated from you. Because you will, what you judge and you say good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, be assured that you will yourself be falling into the same thing. So why would you judge if later you yourself would be falling into the same path? Because at that time you will condemn yourself too. Okay, so he says you're inexcusable. If that's the way of judging, that's not going to help you. But let me show you the story of mankind, the story of what God wanted to do from the beginning with nation and nations. Let me show you how both of them have been under the influence of what we call sin, which is not believing what God says, but they have been believing something that they themselves have reckoned unto themselves. Remember? He says, don't be misreckoning yourself. That means misreckoning is reckoning the other thing about yourself. If God says this is true about you and you believe it, you're reckoning. But if you don't believe it, you're not, you're misreckoning. And misreckoning means you're reckoning a lie about yourself. Okay? Now, let's go to verse um, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. That's clear. And later he says no one can be justified by the works of the law. Okay, so you're, he's not saying that this is one of the ways that you can live. By. He's exposing again that this is impossible. So he's saying that uh, if if you are a Jew and you're boasting that you are a Jew and you have the law, then keep it. But if you don't, you're not able to keep it. Why do you bring the stone against this adulterous woman? Because my judgment is, if you have not sinned, then condemn her. But even now, we are still judging ourselves and others because we allow our opinions to become the judge. So he says, it's not just having the law, so don't boast about your law, Jews. So he doesn't stop there, now he goes to Gentiles, which is other nations who didn't have the law of Moses. Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Okay, so what does he say? He says two groups, Jews and Gentiles, nations. These Jews had the law, and this other group, they don't have a written law, but they are a law to themselves. Why? Because they're constantly reckoning what is good and what is bad. So they have already created a court, and they have written law, and all the blessings and cursing attached to it just by themselves without the help of God. Okay, that's who they are. Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their heart. Okay, so he says Gentiles show that the work of the law is written in their heart. He doesn't say the law written in their heart. He says the work of the law in heart, which means he's not talking about the new covenant that God said, I will put my law in their heart. and in, Because that's, he says, new covenant. He's talking about Gentiles. Okay, so he's saying the works of the law. What is the work of the law? That which was in Cain. Yes. Yeah. He said, unless I bring the sacrifice, I will not be ac accepted. Right. He judged himself. 
Right? Yeah. Okay, so once again, verse 15. Who showed the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts, which is the word reckoning, once again, mistranslation, reckoning, and their reckonings accusing, or else excusing them. Oh my goodness. Who is the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night? Is he the devil? Or is your reckonings? Your reckonings. <laughs> now we're going to get back to the garden to open all these. But he says, so Gentiles are accusing themselves. How? There is a witness. Conscience. And he says, the, the, the witness that the conscience gives to me Is that correct? Which one? I-E, okay. Conscience. So their conscience bears witness. How many times Jesus said, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen and yet no one is willing to believe. But what are they believing? Their conscience. Even today. Even right now, right here. Let's be honest. Are you hearing the clear word of mercy, grace, truth, love, loving kindness, all of that toward yourself? Or are you thinking about what you did yesterday? Or what you did or what you lack tomorrow? What are you thinking? What is your awareness right now? What is bearing witness to your conscience, to your heart now? He says, their accusation, this basically this work of conscience that bears witness causes my reckonings to accuse me. So the works of the law are written in there, in my heart. And the conscience bears witness because it constantly sees the outside and sees what I had reckoned as to be evil. And then I'm immediately judged and condemned. And death follows. Okay, so therefore we have two groups. Everybody sees this slide? Yeah. yeah, okay. So we have two groups. We have always the nation of God, and we have nations. So in this context, the nation of God was judged by the law. These were judged by their reckonings. This is the story of Judgment. 
Okay? Yeah. Now the good news. <laughs> Verse 16. But in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. According to my good news, which means what you're hearing is the good news. That's bad news. This is bad news. This judgment, he says, God will do. Not according to your conscience. This is according to Jesus. So let us therefore put away all sin not sins, sin that is condemning me, and look unto Jesus. Why should I believe sin? Why should I believe the word that says the wrong thing about me? Why should I believe my own thoughts, my own reckonings? Why should I judge myself according to the flesh? Why not looking at Jesus and see the smile in his face? Why not look in his face and see the glory that is shining in my heart? Why not looking at that gentleness, meekness that is in him, that is constantly calling me, come to me. Come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You've been toiling since the day of the garden. You've been under the accusation of the same serpent that I told you, guard this garden, and you didn't. You allowed the serpent to enter into your garden. I said, guard it. He says he put man in the garden, and he said, keep it, till the ground, and keep the garden. The word keep means guard. Guard the garden. Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it. For God put two trees in the midst of the garden. Okay? So, again, this is going into preaching, not teaching. But God is, because I like you to see the scriptures, but I know you are rich in scriptures in this house, so I take my freedom just to flow. So, God planted a garden. You go search the scripture. Constantly, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Song of Psalms, he says that... uh, even though as if this city, Jerusalem, was like a wilderness, I will make rivers to burst into it, and I will um, turn this into a garden. And he says, your soul shall be like a well-watered garden. Your soul is the garden in Eden. And he says, in the midst of this garden, the word means, means the word means the heart. Okay? We are in the midst of... Maybe, we are not, but we use it. We are in the midst of Florida, which means we are in the heart of the Florida. There is no such a thing as heart. This heart is not the heart that the Bible taught. Take this heart and plant something artificial, and you will still have the same feelings, which means this is not the heart that God is speaking of. It's something more. The word midst in the garden, which God planted the two trees, Life, tree of life, and tree of knowledge of good and evil, speaks of the heart of the soul. That which is the center source of everything to you. So God said you can 
have life as the source of your life, or you can have death as the source of your life. In the heart. But I say, choose life. And then he said, when he did this, he said, let me, let me show you something. This garden, I give it to you, and it's your garden. And tend this garden. Guard this garden. But what's the thing that creeps into this garden? The serpent. Which means the serpent was not supposed to be in that place. Serpent belongs to... Because serpent is something still that God created. And God doesn't create anything bad. So serpent is not what you think. God created. And it says when God created, he looked at everything and he said, all is good. So he didn't create evil. So when you go and you read Isaiah 45 says, I create evil and darkness. Maybe you should reconsider darkness and evil. Because if, if you go a few verses before that, he says, I will give this Cyrus the treasures of darkness. Yeah. What are you saying? You're giving me the depth of the flesh? No, that's not the darkness in that concept that he's talking about. He's talking about all the mysteries that you didn't understand and you turned into something that gave you death instead of life. It's the same word that God gave was supposed to be the source of life that they ate it with human fleshly perception and it killed them. It's the law. It's being represented in different stories. Second Corinthians chapter 3 tells us the law kills. It's the ministration of death. But he says the reason it kills because you misunderstood the law. Because Galatians chapter 3 says the same thing that was supposed to give you life brought death. Romans 7 says, so is the law sin? He says, no. The law is good. Now I'm not talking about the law of Moses again. I will explain this. The law is good and holy and righteous. For the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. So I take what is a spiritual and I make it carnal. And he says, that will give you death. It was not supposed to be telling you what to do. It was supposed to show you who you are. So the law... If we don't understand it, would kill us. Because we think the law says don't commit adultery, and when committed adultery, then you need to be a stone. Jesus proved that's wrong. If let me tell you, he said, go and teach all nations everything that I have taught you. Command them to do what I have taught you. So if he didn't condemn an adulteress, what would you do with adulteress? What would you do with the thing that is so huge in this country with gays? What would they bring? What, 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 what if someone comes and somebody says, hey, this is gay? What are you going to think? How are you going to look at that person? Are you going to be able to say to accusers, whoever has not sinned, let him judge? Or are you able to, after getting away with everybody else, look into that person's eye 
and say, who are your accusers? Are you able to minister to conscience rather than to flesh? Are you able to go deep into the person? Because if you are not, you will never ever be qualified for judgment. And you're condemning someone for whom Jesus died. And there are few verses that talk about this not to do it. Which means the judgment of God is given to those who understand the love of God. Because the judgment of God brings life, not death. The judgment of God is coming. We just saw it. It comes to set me from the things that was condemning me and accusing me. Therefore, there is a new law called the law of the Spirit, through which everyone shall be set free from the law of sin and death, and that's why there is no condemnation. God has set a new law in place. It's the law of the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit is, is liberty. I'm not going to be looking at you and judge you according to flesh. I'm not looking at you and say, you're not going to be able to do this. No, I'm going to be cheering you up. I'm going to prophesy over you. That let the weak say, I'm strong. That let the weak, as Paul said, rejoice and boast in his weakness. Because he knows, finally, there is someone strong through whom I can do all things. So I'm not anymore the source of my own life. I'm going back to the very core of my being, which is divine. And I was not aware of it. And I thought, I'm a sinner. I'm filthy. I'm not qualified. I'm not worthy. And I judge myself. That's why my life was like a scroll that was sealed. And I cried. And I said, what's the purpose? What is written about me? He said, let me show you first, in the volume of the book, it's written about me. And now let me come, if you cry out, not fleshly, if you have that groaning in your heart, saying, Lord, I want to know. He says, you sound like those who are in the book of Revelation, and they're weeping. And they're saying, who can take this scroll and open it? And I heard... I looked, I heard, no one is found in heaven, on earth, under the, under the heaven. And I continued to weep. And finally a voice said, do not weep anymore. For the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome to take your scroll and to open its seven seals. Yes, yes. For he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before you were even in the flesh. He died for you. What does that mean? What kind of ministry this word does to your conscience. It frees you. So what if just as in the days of Noah, the earth was filled with giants, those who were every imaginations of their heart were wicked, continually, what if the earth could be filled with the sons of God whose heart is filled with righteousness continually? 
Do you think the work of Adam shall be greater than the work of Jesus? Do you think as true Adam one died, he's going to say, oh, Adam, such a strong, fleshly, wicked man. Look at what you have done. Or maybe he would go all the way back to Adam and he would take everyone like sheep and carry them on and say, come on, I'm the overseer and shepherd of your soul. You never knew the fountain that is inside of you. You were like a fountain sealed on the inside. But ask of me water and I will give you water and that water will become in you the fountain. Springing up into everlasting life. Do you think these things happen when you believe in Jesus? Do you think things are put inside of you when Jesus comes? No, Jesus comes to break everything. Okay, let's go to Song of Solomon. Chapter 4. Before reading this portion, remember everything that we read in the New Testament concerning the book of Revelation saying uh, the bride... uh, that the Holy Jerusalem, this woman, is the bride of Christ. And remember that Ephesians 5 says the mystery of Adam and Eve was the mystery of Christ and the church. And that is Christ loving the church just as a husband loves the wife, uh, so that through that love and the washing of water that is constantly given her, he might uh, wash you and make her Uh, basically spotless, uh, blameless, without reproach, before his sight. Now, that doesn't mean to take every filth away from you. That means to wash what is already causing you to be under it. He's not talking about causing you not to sin anymore. He's talking concerning your identity, the spots that have come in our conscience and have defiled our garment. That which covers us. Make sense? Okay. So let's go to chapter 4, verse um, 7. Now hear this from the mouth of Jesus. He says, You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. The word is bride. With me from Lebanon. Look from the top. Uh, let's move to verse Nine, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride, once again. You have ravished my heart with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my bride? How much better than wine is your love? And the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, O my bride, 
drip as the honeycomb. You remember the land flowing with milk and honey, right? Jerusalem. Honey and milk are under your holy Jerusalem. The land flowing with milk and honey. Where is it? It's you. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are the fragrance of Christ, diffusing his knowledge everywhere you go. Now, verse 12. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A garden is my bride. Don't, you, don't we see that in the book of Revelation, chapter 22? A garden called a city called the bride he says a garden enclosed is my bride a spring shut up a fountain sealed oh my goodness a fountain sealed if the fountain is sealed what's going to happen nothing is going to come out jesus comes to the woman at the well and he says Okay, let's go to something else. Because <laughs> everybody got it, right? That's good. But let me just add this. He comes and he says, uh, go and come with your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, yes. And we have taken this and preached the word of knowledge out of it. But let's go a bit deeper. He says, for... You are right. You said the truth. You have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. Okay, you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 17. There is a beast with seven heads. Five are fallen. One is, and one is to come. Who is the head of the church? Christ. But we see a beast that says the woman was sitting upon. Okay? I need to go to this side. So there is a beast. One, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And says... A woman called Babylon was sitting on this beast. Okay? Doesn't this sound wrong? Isn't it supposed to be the woman, the body, and not the head? But she has become the head. Yeah. Right? Shouldn't that be like maybe this? That you have a head here and a body here. That this should be Christ and the church. Why is it the other way around and the beast has seven heads? Seven husbands. To a harlot church. Now Jesus comes to this woman and he says, Hey, get away from all those husbands. I am your bridegroom. 
And I will lead you to the fountain of living waters. But where is the fountain? But where others have tried to take you themselves to the outside. But what does he say I will take you in? Inside. You have everything that you need for life and godliness in you. And you are complete in him. So no nothing except Christ and him crucified because it will lose the seals from within. Your fountain will be opened up. You will drink from your own well, from your own cistern. You will drink freely from the water of life. So whoever thirsts, let him come to me and I will give him of this water freely. So why do you go? Why not come in? So why do you then allow this way of judgment to continue? Why don't you allow this one to do the work in your heart? Why don't you allow this one through his blood to do something to those spots that are in your conscience? Why not use something, a launderer, that is so able to make white that which was dirty? Why not allow the blood of Jesus to be able to make white your garment? Why not allow him to come? Okay, let's go to uh, Malachi. Malachi. Malachi, yeah. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 1. Everybody is there? Everybody is ready? Chapter 3. Nobody is mad, right? Happy? Everyone? Okay. All right. Verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Okay. When they were in one accord sitting in the upper room, suddenly there was a voice, all of that, and the word suddenly came into the temple. The Holy Spirit. He came into it. Didn't Jesus go into the temple and cleanse the temple? But wasn't all those things types and shadows of your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit? Didn't the Holy Spirit come into the temple? Wouldn't the Holy Spirit, we will cover this, but be the same kind as Jesus? So didn't he say, if I go, I send the Holy Spirit, but I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. So when the Holy Spirit came, do you think there was 
two people came in? Or do you think it was just one person? So he said, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. Now let's see what he does after that. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. Don't we read this in the book of Revelation? Yes. Behold, he's coming. Yes. But what do we read after that? And his reward is with him. Okay. Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? So you're waiting for the coming of Jesus, right? Yeah. Okay, but let's see what was prophesied about his coming. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Who were the Levites? The priests. He would purify the priests. Who are the priests? The ones that are supposed to be taking God by one hand and taking man by other hand and say, hey, guys, meet. He says, but God needs to purify the priests. Why? Because they have defiled their conscience. Now let's go to Zechariah chapter 3. The previous book. Chapter 3. <clears throat> Verse 1, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Doesn't he say, I will send my messenger, the messenger of the covenant? And the word messenger is the word angel. Okay, because angel means messenger. He says, the high priest, Joshua the high priest standing, and you know the word Joshua also means Jesus. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, Satan, standing at his right hand to oppose him. Okay, interesting. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with what? Filthy garments. Do you think he's talking about your, the works of your flesh or maybe something about your conscience? Yes. Joshua is the one that is the high priest. He's supposed to be mediating. He's, so, he's the one that is supposed to bring the freedom of Jubilee, the day of atonement, speaking to everyone what they have as an inheritance that was t taken away from them so they can return back to the inheritance that they originally owned. He was the one that was supposed to sound the seven trumpets. The high priest. He was the one whose voice was supposed to go into people's conscience and cleanse that conscience. Yet he himself is clothed with filthy garments. Why? Because there is a Satan. Who has therefore defiled his conscience? 
Satan. But who is the accuser? Your own reckonings. He says the messenger of God is here, and then man's messenger is here. Joshua is standing here. Who are you going to hear, Joshua? Are you going to hear your own thoughts? Or are you going to hear the angel of the Lord? Are you going to hear the Holy Spirit within? Or are you going to listen to the dictates of your own heart? Which one are you going to listen? Who I told you you were? Didn't I tell you you're clothed? With me? So why then when somebody came in the garden, after meeting that person, you immediately felt you were naked? So what voice are you hearing? Do you hearing a voice that brings you life? Or do you hear a voice that brings you death? Do you listen to the voice of the one who came that you may realize you have life within, and that in abundance? Or do you listen to the voice of the thieves that came before me, and they constantly robbed you, and stole from you, and killed you? Including everyone we call the holy people of God. Every name ever before Jesus. We look at them and we say, wow, what an amazing thing. One of them, Elijah. Brought fires three times, two times, 50 people killed. The third time, finally somebody said, please, listen to me. And somebody in the New Testament comes and says, hey, do you want us to bring fire down? Jesus said, guys, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. That's, not, that's the wrong fire you're bringing down. The fire that I'm talking about is my eyes a fire that is able to search your conscience. Flames of fire, ministering spirits, angels of God, your eyes. You can look at a person and see if they're condemned or not. You can look at a person and minister to their conscience according to what you see. That's why Jesus constantly says, he looked at them and said, why do you reason in your heart? That's the kind of ministry you're supposed to do. Not to look at, oh, this one is, you know, in adultery. He's sleeping with this woman. That one is smoking. That one is drinking. That one is... The law of fleshly commandments. They would kill you to the end. You can put those laws around people. They would violate it every time. And they would violate their conscience. And they would experience death while living. But what if we can be so pure in who we are toward God? Not again pure in that sense. Pure in the sense of conscience being pure. That I know nothing about man. But I know everything about God. And I realize we are all one. Realm of the spirit. Some are awakened. Some haven't. And those who are awakened should not anymore live for themselves, but for him who died for everyone and rose again. If he died for everyone, and if everyone died for him, do you think they deserve death and destruction? Who am I to judge somebody else? God forgave me. Should I not be forgiving others? Should I hold anything against them? 
It doesn't say God would come. And these are all parables, not to take them literally. He says, why don't you forgive? I forgave you. Why do you hold anything against others? Wasn't the matter only between me and you because the one that was more in debt, it was you to me, not others to you? So why not taking this goodness and be a great faithful steward of this grace and give freely to everyone? Do you know the parable of the uh, the rich man and the unjust, unrighteous steward. He says there was an steward that he was just, that there was an accusation came against him that he was wasting his master's wealth. Who is our master? What is his riches? The riches of mercy and grace. He says at least learn from him. When he realized that people brought an accusation against him, don't be the one who actually stops giving grace, increase it more. Learn from them. The unjust, unrighteous steward, he increased giving away. Why do you not give grace more? Freely. When you see sin abounds. Why not understanding that this grace was given to everyone before the foundation of the world? These are all scriptures that I'm quoting. Now, we can sit down and say, I don't believe that. That's fine. But I believe what the scripture says. He says that this grace was given to us before the foundation of the world. Did you choose to have it? No. He says every story that was ever written was supposed to show us this mystery, that it's according to grace. That it's a, that's why Esau I have hated, but Jacob I have loved. Not to say I hate Esau. There is prophecy that he would recall, um, take Esau back. Okay? So he says this shows that it's by grace. It's before these two were in, in the womb, their destiny was already declared. Not to again say that one would be wretched and one would be good. All are mysteries to show you. It's according to grace. So when you have a revelation of grace, don't harden your heart. Because if you do, you will not enter into rest. And the rest was the promised land that you were supposed to enter in. So you would remain in your wilderness and constantly, like Israelites, complain and grumble about everything that you hear, about every message that is revealing more of the grace of God. Honestly, you would be. I had problem when the first time I heard grace, I said, what a God. I mean, that doesn't make sense. So you're saying that I, who am this and this and this. And the other guy who has done this and that and that, do you, are you saying you're all the same? You're going to the same place? Don't we even have a parable like this? Mm-hmm. That Jesus said there were two men. One came, he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man. Um, I've done this, I've done that, I've paid my tithe. I've been a faithful Christian going to church. I've paid my tithes. I've witnessed to at least one person in my life and he's saved. And now I'm happy that I go to heaven because I've done my, I've bear, born fruit. He says the other one would be justified. 
and you will go condemned. Because what you're saying is you're not talking to the true God, you're talking to an idol you have created for yourself. First John chapter 5, after talking about eternal life, he says, this is the true God. Keep yourself away from idols. Every idol that you have in your mind, like the one that Cain had in his mind, just put that away. Don't let the image in your mind that you have created of God be the one who gives you a command to do and shows you what kind of judgment you must have. That's not the true living God. So then if Joshua, the high priest, needs his uh, garment to be cleansed, purified, so we do. That's why Jesus comes and he constantly speaks of the blood of the covenant. And he talks about this cup of the new covenant that we drink. And the, new, the book of Hebrews reveals to us that what it does, it does something to your conscience. Yes. So if you're drinking juice or wine or water or any drink, or even if you talk about the blood and you feel condemned, you're not drinking the blood of Jesus. You're giving a sacrifice to an idol. And you have become idolaters. And no idolater shall enter the kingdom of God. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. And I hope everyone understands that not inheriting the kingdom doesn't mean going to hell. It means you will not experience what is already in you daily. Uh, chapter 2, verse um, 20. This is Jesus speaking to one of the churches. Verse 20. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach, and the word must be deceive, my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Okay, let me explain it. First of all, the translation must be corrected. The word, that woman, must become your wife. You allow your wife, Jezebel, to teach and deceive you and cause my servants to eat things sacrificed to idols. What does that mean? 
The picture is here. Who was supposed to be the teacher? The head. Paul said, I don't allow the woman to teach in the church. Which woman? My wife taught today. If, if, if I believe the literal word, I must, I must not be here now. Okay? And Paul himself shouldn't be even named in the Bible because he has prophetess with him going here and there. He's saying, receive them. So then, what does the prophetess do? Teach. So how could Paul contradict yourself? I'm not. The law is spiritual. Why are you looking at it carnally again? Why don't you allow the Spirit to reveal these things to you? Which means, just as you ate in the Old Testament a sacrifice in the presence of God, giving thanks to Him because He had done this for you. In the New Testament, we don't have fleshly ordinances anymore. We don't have a lamb we kill and we sacrifice to God and eat of its flesh. We have something called the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus reveals to us the love of the one who was willing to become a human being so we could see and then see his love. And when we were so wrathful, we would kill him, and what would come out of him would be blood. So we could drink. So he would say, you're killing me, I'm giving you life. So he says, in the new covenant, you're drinking the blood of Jesus. Now, this must be, when you're doing this, this was supposed to cleanse your conscience that the God that you had formed in your mind is wrong, is an idol. The true God is the one who laid down his life for you. So the God that accuses you and judges you is not God. So when you drink condemned, you're bringing a sacrifice to something that is not God, and therefore you are committing adultery. Now, if you allow your soul that is under that wickedness of toy to teach you, who you are, you will always, when you're drinking the blood, you're experiencing that condemnation. So my wife, my soul, if she teaches me, but if my head, if I become the wife, instead of being the head, if I become the wife and I allow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, become my teacher, then it's a different story because he would give me the blood to drink. And my drinking is not fleshly. My drinking is understanding the mercy of God. Okay, so he says, therefore, when the church, the wife, becomes the teacher, something is wrong. When we say, oh, no, God is this, he says, you're wrong. You're committing, you're causing my servants to drink the blood of Jesus, not understanding they were free. They are free. I have nothing against them. I'm love. I hold nothing against anyone. But when you say, oh, my goodness, um, we are holding communion today. So please, if anyone is in sin, don't come forward because you can't 
drink of this. Because then you would be, you were drinking this unworthily. And they don't understand what they are doing is the exact thing that the Bible says don't do. Yeah. Unworthy manner. See yourself worthy of the blood of Jesus. Yes. You were purchased, yes. your conscience, yes. by the precious blood of Jesus. Yes. More precious than any gold or silver corruptible. You are worthy. Do you think he gave the gold for a dirt? Or do you think maybe you were the gold covered with the dirt? Maybe you are who you are from the beginning and there is only a dust on that gold. Maybe he needs to become the refiner. Like the refiner of silver and gold. Washing away everything that is around him, every mixture. And show you, hey, let me show you who you are in your core. So why are you looking at the outside and judge yourself? And why do you judge according to appearance? Why do you judge according to flesh and not hearing what the Father is showing to you? So therefore, the Lord God is one, O Israel, and you shall not worship other gods. Do you think he was talking about... Outward gods, idols. Rose talked about this. When those thoughts raise themselves in me, so they sit in the temple of God, yeah. showing themselves they are God, but they're not God. That's Nebuchadnezzar making an image of himself and says, let us worship this image. It is me forming a human God in my mind, thinking God is, His judgment is like us, and then I worship that image. Everything in the Bible speaks of what I'm speaking to you from the beginning to the end. From Genesis, the book of your beginning, to Revelation, the book of your revealing and manifestation. Genesis to Revelation. One story, one book, one God, one Father of all, who is the Lord of all, for all, in all, through all, forever. Don't we at least want to clap our hands for him? This one I would gladly worship. Not this way. I'm already worshiping him. I will not take the image of the beast. I will worship the true God. The one who lays down his life for me. The one who raises me when I'm dead in my trespasses and in my sin. And I didn't even know he died for me. Who would do this? For anyone. When we were enemies. But were we. Was he our enemy. Or we were his enemies. Why are we still thinking God is human's enemy. Humanity's enemy. Why do we think that he has anything against anyone. Do you think when 1 Corinthians 13 says. Love holds nothing against no one. No record of suffered wrong. Do you think if we say God is love. He is allowed 
to hold things against himself? Don't you think he's a hypocrite if he does that? My conscience is clear. I know what I'm saying. For some, maybe this is a bit strong. But I know who he is. I'm, I'm not afraid of speaking of his goodness. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. What does it mean? He showed, I will not judge you according to your conscience. I will not judge you according to your law. I will judge you according to Jesus Christ, who was slain before the foundation of the world. That's what it means, that the righteousness of God is revealed. Romans chapter 3, let's go there. Yeah. I think the first day is good because it's, we didn't intend that to go this way, but I think it's softening our heart, you know? So we are aware of his goodness, his love. So when we hear something maybe a bit deeper later, we receive it. We realize this is good. If you want that for me, I will take it. Do you know the word receive in the Bible means take what has always belonged to you? He's the father. Which of you evil fathers, earthly fathers, when you want to give birth to a son, you don't prepare his room and his clothes and his shoes and his food in advance? Which one of you don't do it? Then why don't you think the father in heaven wouldn't do the same thing for us? Didn't he constantly talk to Jews and he say, if you are being evil and you know constantly, if you know you are being evil, if you are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father? He's comparing the best of our goodness as the least when it comes to his goodness toward us. And he's saying, at least look at yourself. I've put something in you, a filio, a love for children inside of you. So when you look at that love that is immediate, when you give birth to a child, if that's in the mother and the father, that must give you some hint that this love is not about anything that the children have done. This is about you are part of my body. You came out of me. You are out of my will. You didn't choose to be birthed. Your parents didn't choose you to be birthed. You are born according to the will of God. You're not born of flesh. You're not born of blood. You're born of the spirit. You're born from above. I have many things to tell you. But you're not willing to receive it. That's what Jesus called. He said, but if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. And then he will reveal all these things to you. But he will not speak of himself. He will take what is of mine and reveal that to you. But he also said... I will talk to you about the Father plainly at some time. Who was Jesus on earth? For the children, because they had partaken of flesh and blood, he himself became like the same. Who was on the cross? The Son of God? (laughs) When do you receive a testament? When the brother is dead? Maybe the father is dead. 
When did your testament start? When did your covenant start? When did you begin to receive your inheritance? When you finally see the one who died for you is not your brother, is your father. Because we have judged Jesus according to flesh, and there was a man lived for 33 years, and we say, that's Jesus. But let's look at God. No, my brother, no, my sister. The one who was in the time, in our time, which has a beginning and an end in the realm of time, who came down here, who died here, and then he rose here. He talked about this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he came here, and he went back to the glory that he had. So what we see here, it's God manifested in what? Because God is what? No one has ever seen God, but he can show himself. That's why the book that is in the end of the Bible, it's not the revelation of God. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The more you know him, the more veils are taken away from his face. The more you go deeper into him, you're not going to be saying, this is the son of Mary anymore. You're not going to be saying, this is the Jesus of Nazareth anymore, even though he has been all those things in time. And you're not going to be saying, this is my brother, this is the son of God. You will see him as the everlasting father. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says there will come a time that even the Son himself will be subjected to the Father, that God may be all in all. The mystery of Son will be in you, not in him anymore. Why? Because he entered into our realm so he could, through that realm of physicality, show us the expression of the one who has been in people all the time and they were not aware of him, but he allowed himself to be animated by the spirit that was in him, in the flesh, so you could see it and you could say, oh my goodness, you are in me. Christ is in me. The kingdom is in me. When I pray, I must go to my secret place, pray to the Father that is unseen. And he says, yeah, do it. And, okay, so then where are you going, Lord? No, I will be with you. In fact, I am with you to the end of the age. Not I will be with you. I am with you to the end of the age. Okay, what do you mean? I will come to you. But didn't you come? Why are you again coming? Well, because I came in you, but my coming to the temple was suddenly you didn't realize. But I will come quickly every time, and I will come like a thief. But you, to you, I should, I should not come like a thief. Because let's say if a thief is coming, and you are the master of the house, you would always watch. So when the thief comes, you say, get away. So he says, likewise, be like that person 
the master of the house. Be aware, be sober. Don't allow your conscience to be drunken with the blood that is not the blood of Jesus, but the blood of the harlot Babylon. The blood in the name of Jesus, because they drank it in the cup of the same temple of Jerusalem in Babylon. The cup of demons. It's the same blood, but in the name of another God. Because it's like, I mean, it's all over. The time would come who would, those who would kill you, they think they serve God. Those who killed Jesus, they thought they're serving God. Even now, the same thing. We kill people in the name of God. How do we kill them? By the word we preach. Yeah, because your word must be life, not death. So he says, the temple in Jerusalem was true. Nebuchadnezzar was destroyed. But the, uh, the, the cups and the lampstands, all those things, they were taken into captivity to Babylon. And they began drinking the wine of Babylon in those same things. That's what we do in the church. The cup of the blessing is the Lord's. But when we put something else in it, and we offer that to one another to drink. We are doing what the king of Babylon did. But we can be like Daniel and his friends in chapter 1 of Daniel, who refused to take the blood, the wine of Babylon. They didn't drink. And he says, God gave them knowledge, wisdom, and understanding in all things. And they were the ones that remained in Babylon and caused Babylon to fall. Because they were the ones, Daniel was the one, who when the angel of the Lord came, and on the night that they were drinking of the same cup, offering to their own God, the image that they had built, someone came and wrote that your kingdom is numbered. The kingdom of the religious church yes. is over. And only those who have not been drunk by the wine of this religious system, Babylon, they are the ones who would be able to read the writing. That's why maybe some still don't understand this message. Is it heavy? The book of Revelation speaks of those who did not take the image of the beast. Don't drink the blood, the the wine of the religious system if you don't want to take the image of the beast. Because that's what she was doing, Babylon. He says all the kings of the earth were drunk with the blood, with the wine of her fornication. Who are the kings of the earth? And chapter 18 of the book of Revelation, there is a voice of mighty angels saying, Oh, my people, come out from her. Come out from her. Come out from her. Don't partake of her fornication. Don't, don't commit adultery with her. Should you take the temple of the Holy Spirit and join it to a harlot? 
So what does that mean? Leave your church? Absolutely not. But leave your conscience out of that system. Because we are not talking about law of fleshly commandments. We are not talking about leaving a system. No. In fact, Daniel and his friends, they were in the midst of the Babylon. They were having visions of God. They were having fun, feast with their God. And then when they wanted to kill them and destroy them and burn them in the fire, guess what? God manifested in the midst. The fourth one. So, God, the devil, heaven, and hell, and a savior at the last time, all lies. There is one God and one spirit, and we are all his children, and we have all been dead, and he says, awake into righteousness. Awake into your righteousness. Awake into your righteousness. Do you know what that even means? <laughs> it doesn't mean become righteous. It means awake to your righteousness. You are. You are awakened into your righteousness. He says everything that you have been so far being sleeping in sin, not knowing who you are. You're like a walking man that doesn't know who he is. Didn't Jesus say to Pharisees, walking graves? So, awake in righteousness, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and the following portion of that verse says, and do not sin. But if you look at the translation, he says, and not sin. Awake into righteousness, not sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, I think. Awake into righteousness, not sin. You've been sleeping. It's, I, I love, there are a couple of movies that we watched over the past two years, at least, I don't know, seven, eight times. Um, and I highly recommend to watch. One is Matrix, only the first one. Please don't watch the second one. <laughs> you can't even watch that in the spirit. Oh, it's, it, 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 it is, but it will only show you Babylon. Okay? Yeah. And the second one is The Shack. If you haven't watched it, please do yourself a favor and watch it because it would soften your heart like nothing else. The Shack. Shack. Yeah. It's a famous, apparently I didn't know. It's a, it's a book. It's a novel. It's about the experience of someone uh, who, who's been in the church, hurt into different problems and in his journey he, he discovers who God is and now that that is in the story it's in, in a novel and beautiful really beautiful so when the first time that we watched it was in 2018 I think and uh, I didn't even know what we were, we were about to watch I had no clue nothing so when we watched it I was like oh my goodness that's what we were preaching 
<laughs> it was so good. And there is one scene, it's my favorite scene, and it's um, basically it's the story of dealings of God with man, uh, personified in a man named Mackenzie, and then God is shown in the form of Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. And the Father is not the Father, the Father is actually a mother. And the reason is, later he says, because of what the father had done, natural father to this person, Mackenzie, is uh, because of what he has experienced, God didn't want him to have a dealing with the father. He wanted to be a loving mother first. So he could actually reveal himself more and more. Because God is not mother and not father. He's both mother, mother and father. Um, but anyways, uh, there is one scene that for the first time, this Mackenzie enters, and there is this God, a black African woman. And she looks at him, and she comes and embraces him. And the way she expresses, the, the father basically, expresses his love is amazing. I, I said, I wish I was there. You know, that reality of being embraced by a father that is so... Like you saw Rose today speaking concerning me. I, I was sitting there and enjoying myself because I was receiving the pleasure of my wife. And I'm so proud of you. And we have to receive that pleasure from the Father. Yes. If my wife, who is so good, not evil, is able to look at here and talk to a congregation about me that softly and gently and loving, how do you think God would present his children? How would he speak of his children? How would he brag about his children? Dan, you're going for uh, the hockey game, right? And the whole family is going just to be there and witness this accomplishment, this achievement, you know, just to celebrate. That's who the Father is toward us. Not celebrating because we have done anything, celebrating because we are coming to our maturity. He says, Abraham, when Isaac was weaned through a feast, when Isaac came to maturity, the Father he was enjoying that his son finally understands who his father is to him. And God is taking pleasure. He says, when you believe, for without faith it is impossible to please God. Do you think he's talking about works? If you understand, if you receive his love, you're allowing him to send his pleasure like a river to you and satisfy you. Doesn't the word Eden mean pleasure? And there was a river coming out of Eden, the pleasure, watering the the garden, the soul. Your soul, by the pleasure, fed. Do you think you will ever thirst? If you have that kind of pleasure? Drinking daily, every time? No, never. Absolutely never. I'm teaching myself to be able to receive the pleasure of God to myself. To sit down and just be immersed. To have an immersion. 
in the pleasure of God toward myself. Amen. I'm not boasting about myself. I'm boasting about who he sees me to be. Paul says, I was caught up into this paradise, the garden of Eden, of the pleasure of God. And I saw myself, a man in Christ. And there are things that I can't even tell you about those things. Because the moment I say, you will be like, so you're talking so highly of yourself. He says, in fact, a messenger of Satan was given to me. Which messenger of Satan? The one that exalts again itself. Did God really say, or are you really the son of God? Are you the garden of Eden? Who, are you, who do you think you are? So he says, then I felt as naked and ashamed as Adam and Eve in the garden. I felt that weakness, but then I realized in my weakness, I'm strong. I'm not going to be covering my mortality and see it as weak and seeing myself as this amazing person. Say, I'm not yet experiencing this. No, I'm not going to be looking at this. When I'm weak, I'm strong. I'm not going to be covering myself. I know I'm naked before his eyes. Why should I cover myself? I put my eyes on him and I receive that pleasure over. So the moment I feel like I'm naked and I cover to cover myself and separate myself from him, be afraid and try to now get a knowledge, wisdom and escape death, I realize, oh my goodness, this is the way of death. So I'm going to turn and I say, when father calls my son, I say, here I am. Do you, think, do you think it's it's just by accident that there are words like here I am in the Bible? <laughs> God calls people and people respond here I am. It shows re conscience is being restored in people. And God said to Adam, where are you? Simple question. He said, I was afraid. No, where are you? No, I was afraid. No, I'm, I'm saying, where are you? Why are you not coming to me? Well, because I'm naked. You see, there is no veil that can cover us from the eyes of the one to whom we should give an account. Yeah. And that means, the word account is the word. There is no one to whom we, from whom, we can receive a word about ourselves. Every, everyone, every creature is naked before his eyes. These are all Hebrews chapter 4, by the way. It says the word of God is sharper, is living, and sharper than, than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the spirit and the soul, even to the thoughts and intents of your hearts. Every creature is naked before his eyes. So he says... Then allow God to judge the secrets of your hearts. The ones that actually accuse you and judge you and condemn you. Remember, in the day that God will judge, Romans chapter 2, the secret of man's heart, according to my gospel, he will come into your heart and say, get away from these things that are covering you, the fig leaves and all of that. You are not what you think. 
your mortality, your weakness was not supposed to be absorbing fig leaves. It was an invitation for the one who loves you so much. Because if you look at the story of woman and man, husband and wife, you realize the same thing that the woman is ashamed of attracts the husband. I say it again. The same shame that the woman has in her body, the place that she covers from others, she opens to her husband. God is called our husband, doesn't he? Our mortality, weakness, was an invitation of intercourse with God. Not to be ashamed and draw ourselves or separate ourselves from him. It was the place of communion. So sin is not the place to separate yourself from God. It's the place to draw closer, to have a communion, intercourse, co-union, two becoming one. When I'm weak, I'm strong. It's then 100-100, not 50-50, right? That's the story. So God says, you and I, I mean, it's not two purpose, it's one purpose. And it's, the purpose is oneness. So I'm not going to be uh, 80 when you are, you, you're not, I, I'm not going to be 45 because you are 45. I remain 100 when you are 45. I remain 100 in our relationship when you are 25. I remain 100 when you are 5. I remain 100 when you are 0. So then you realize that you should not trust in yourself, but in God who raises the dead. Those are all the stories to show us. This is so good. This is really good news. This is good news. It's new and it's good. Every day. It's the gospel, the Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 14 calls the everlasting gospel. How could this be everlasting gospel? Unless it's, it's alive. alive, it's new every day. It never gets old. It's not a husband and wife that after two years they don't have the same passion for another. It's in fact getting better and better. So I'm not ashamed of my weakness. I'm not ashamed of my mortality. And as Paul says, the same time that I come to that realization, I come to a new consciousness of actually a deeper revelation of who God is because I see more weakness in myself and I realize even in this stage, God is God. So that takes away self-consciousness away from me. It takes away. So imagine if you wake up every morning and the only thing that you think about is someone that dearly loves you. How do you think your day would go? Wow. Really awesome. Awesome, right? Really awesome. Exciting. How would your day go if you wake up and the only thing that you think is you? Uh, Weakness, worry, fear, anxiety, stress, 
I haven't done this. I need to do this today. I have 10 more things to do. The, the end of the month is approaching, all of this. Let me tell you something. Rose and I have been in, I'm now being vulnerable, in the worst situation of our life, not in our relationship with one another and God, but in terms of other things in our entire life. But I'm not being moved by any of those things. Now, I'm not saying that the temptation does not come, but I remind myself, you know, I'm the outer man, whatever is happening to this, does it still have a voice in my life? Don't I have eternal life in me? Am I not really able to rely on the source that is inside of me? Should I not be thinking of being able, take this as an opportunity to produce life out from within? Instead of relying on the outside? From inside. Shouldn't I be like Jesus when he came to a place that there was no bread? He fed them. Now, why was he able to do this? Do you know why he was able to do this? Because when he went to the wilderness, the voice came and he said, If you want the bread, you must turn the stone into bread. He was like... No, but God said, I'm his son. That means I have eternal life in me. No, but you must know. I live by that truth that was just expressed. And then he overcomes. He comes out and he says, hey, children, uh, let me tell you a truth. I was tempted in wilderness to turn the stone to bread. I thought God gives a stone so I could turn that into bread and eat. But I tell you, no, that's a lie. You want bread? Ask bread. Which of you being evil, when your children ask you for bread, you give them stone? So I was tempted by this. I overcame. Now, listen to me. Remember the Bible says he's our high priest. He says he sympathizes with our weakness. He says in our time of weakness, we can come to him. What does that even mean? Hebrews 4 says. It says, seeing that we have such a high priest who can sympathize with uh, with our weaknesses, who was tempted in all points, one of which turned the stone into bread. Let us therefore come boldly. Not in fear, not in shame, not in whether it is your will or not. Come boldly. Come boldly. Come boldly. Have that boldness. Remember, if your heart doesn't know anything against you, you have boldness before God, and whatever you ask, you receive. He says, therefore, since we have such a high priest, let us come. He was tempted, but he did never sin. Okay? So, he says, now, one example. When Jesus was tempted to turn the stone into bread, he overcame, and then later he revealed, God is the giver of the bread. He is not the giver of the stone. If you want bread, ask for bread. Don't try to take the stone and turn that into bread. That's what it means for the high priest to minister to you. He was tempted in all points to go astray. And then he stood. And he says, follow me in my temptation. See, when I was tempted, 
What was the truth that was revealed in, during that temptation? Do you see the voice of that temptation be true? Or do you see the voice of God be true? Because I showed in my life that although the voice came to me to, to question what God had said about me, and I went through that fire, I came out as gold. Now, I give this faith to you toward God. So you can live by this faith of the Son of God. So you can realize that you are sons of God, that you ask bread and you receive bread. <laughs> Once again, if you want bread, please ask bread. Don't say, God, I, can you do this so this can become this, so this can become that? So God, can you talk to this person so he can have show favor toward me, so he can talk to the other person, so the other person actually talks to the other person, so they can give me a job, so I can have at least 5K in a month, so that I can pay my rent? Say, come to the one who owns everything. Who is your God? How do you come to him? Do you come with the sin that so easily ensnares you? Or do you come with a full assurance of heart? Being purged from wicked conscience through the blood of Jesus. Our perception of who God is really matters. And the way we see and perceive him is the way we live. If I think God is the giver of, for example, sickness, I will live sick. If I, if I see God as the one who destroys, I will become a destroyer. But if I see God as good, I experience goodness in my life. If I see him as love, I would become love. Like what I'm saying, believe me, I know it's hard to believe that God is good toward everyone. I understand it. I was tempted with the same temptation. But I can tell you, you can be free from that belief. You can really be free. And now, that's not because I've tried to think this way. I saw it. I saw it, saw it in him. And doesn't he say when we see, when we look, we will be? So what is our problem? We've been looking at everything but him. And we look at other things and we say, uh, God told me. No, he wasn't God. It was your own thoughts, your own reasonings, your own imaginations, your own perceptions. Like there was, there was a person that came to us the first year that we were praying for people in the street. And he said, hey, I have a word from God twice. I heard it. And I need one more confirmation to tell you. I said, no, please, I'm interested. I want to know what, what did you hear? I mean, two is enough. Two witness, two, it says two or three. It's good to have three, but you have two witnesses at least. Tell me, what, what did you hear? He said, 
what you are doing is wrong. It's not from God. I said, what? He said, you're going and praying for people. I said, what? Now, to him, he said, God told me. Okay, was he God or was he not? Do you think, do you, do you know that we are all being moved that way at times? We say, God told me. It's because of this that God is doing this. No. 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 Jesus, if you see him, you've seen the Father. If you see yourself, you will create God. But if you see Jesus, you've seen God. Isn't it what he said? Look at his life and gain wisdom about God. Look at him and see when did he judge, condemn? When did he uh, rejected people from goodness and blessing? When did he turn anyone from uh, basically health? When did he refuse when somebody asked for something? People came to him and said, Lord, we want something for you, from you to do for us. He said, okay, what do you want? Oh, give us someone to sit at right and at your left. He said, you don't even understand what you're asking. <laughs> but ask something better. Didn't he say to the woman, but if you knew who, what, this, what the gift of God is and who is the one who is talking to you, you would have asked him and he would have given it to you. So it matters to know uh, who God is, because if you know who God is, you would know what his gift is. But we are looking for the gift and we don't know God. Because the gift is good, but the God that we want to give that to us is evil. Because we think if we ask, we have to beg him to give it to us. I said, don't you understand about the crumbs and the bread? And you understand those who are of the house, they eat of the bread. They sit at the table. They don't eat from that which falls from the table. Yet the one that was not even part of the covenant, the woman, she came. And when she was, she, it looked like Jesus is saying, no, I don't want the healing to you. But she insisted. She said, I'm, I'm taking it. Because it's not up to me. It's I know who you are. Your goodness would never refuse anyone's request. No great king ever refuses any request. Every great king would grant because he's the king. He has everything. So what am I saying? I'm saying it matters to know God. It matters to know how he thinks, how he sees us, what he has declared about us, and what is going to be the end of all these things. Because if I know the end from the beginning, I will walk through it, toward it. But if I don't know what the end looks like, I may go this way while the end is here. What has been said about the beginning and the end in the Bible? Jesus. So who is the end? What's the end of all things? Jesus. 
There is no other end. So at any point that there is a temptation to cause you to, be, to deviate from the way and be gone astray, again, yeah, hear the voice of the good shepherd and return to the shepherd of your soul and be in the way. So don't listen to any lies. Doesn't matter how far you think are from God. Anyways, there's no alienation anyways from God. It's been all in our mind. Okay, I think I need to earn, um, end this earlier than four. So everyone, I think um, it's good that maybe we spend some time just to meditate on this and let some of the things, maybe two or three, even if that's all that we can grab from this session, but let that go deep into our heart, you know, that will do the transformation. Because what you are doing, I, I said many things and I'm adding one more things. We will explain all those things, hopefully, in this conference and in immersion. But one thing that I want to say, when you allow something to go deep, you're sending or you're allowing Christ to go in the, to the very depth of the bottomless pit. Okay? And cleanse it from that place into your abyss of darkness. So if you allow the messenger of the covenant to go deep, the angel of the Lord, the message, the word, to go deep into the abyss of your heart, that place that there is no end to it. The Bible says there are a couple of things that have no end. Sheol and destruction. There, there is a bottomless pit, abyss. Abyss means a pit that is without an end. Okay? There is, when it comes to man's imagination, there is no end. But he can cleanse all of that. So the word, when, you, when in meditation we allow things to go really deep, it will wash those things that were in the very deep. Hallelujah. That every time that some good things would come, that would rise against the knowledge of God and sit and say, mm -hmm, no, I don't believe that. So what if we take a few minutes and I will... Uh, guide everyone uh, so we can experience this for a few minutes, maybe three, four minutes, and then we are done. We can come back for night session. So uh, please, if, uh, if you would close your eyes. Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. Don't be like Pharisees. Don't think because of your many words you will be heard. For your father knows your needs before you ask him. He said, this father, if you want to meet him, you need to go and enter and close the door behind you into a secret place. So your gates to the natural realm are being closed right now. Your eyes are closed to the natural realm. You're not having a communion with a God outside of you.
and he sees you the true you in your secret place you're experiencing the secret place of the most high right now see yourself that you are in the holy of holies that there is an ark of the covenant covered with gold there is no spot the blood of the lamb has purged this gold sit because this is the place that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world the throne of the Almighty, of which you are under his shadow, his cherubims. Now, let yourself Be in silence. And for a minute, I'm going to be silent. So you can hear the very one that told Moses, on this place, I will meet you. And I will speak with you. So that you can realize that God hears you. And if you know that He hears you, then you know that whatever petition, asking, need you have of Him is answered. So take a minute. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Rose and Masood Ramandi. We hope you stay connected by subscribing to our podcast to receive latest teachings to keep you growing in the knowledge of God. If you would like to support our ministry to continue spreading the fragrance of his knowledge, please visit our website at perfectedbyblood.com forward slash donation. For more teachings, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash perfectedbyblood. And if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter yet, go to perfectedbyblood.com forward slash sign up and sign up. You'll get a free ebook called Unveiled Word, a simple guide to understand the Bible. You'll also be notified about new articles about our ministry updates and our upcoming brand new online courses. And if you're ready to take your life into a whole new level to go deeper and go bigger in God, make sure you grab my book. The Flood of Mercy, Supernatural Help in Your Greatest Time of Need. It's available on Amazon right now. When you order your copy, you're really supporting our ministry and the message we carry. And you'll also be getting a book that it will reveal to you how you can stop trying to fulfill God's supernatural plan for your life through natural means. Instead, you can receive the power of His mercy through deeper understanding of God's compassionate heart. 
this book helps you to change your mind, believe in God's goodness, receive his involvement in your day-to-day life, and finally, lift up the burdens off of your shoulders. It's called the Flood of Mercy, Supernatural Help in Your Greatest Time of Need. It's available on Amazon right now. Thanks for tuning in.